Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. Uh, the more I do this introduction, the more I realize that I say it the same every single time. So sometime I'm going to have to come up with a different way to start. But regardless, we are glad that you are listening or watching. Thank you for jumping in again this week. And um, because he spoke on Sunday, we're excited to welcome a special guest this week, Webster Campus Pastor Nate Miller. What's up, man? Hey, buddy. It's good to uh, be on the podcast and to be here today. Yeah, so you are definitely coming at us from 780 Cell Road. There's no doubt in the world. It's true. Yes, I'm uh, hanging out in our lobby as of right now. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, well, it's crazy. It's hard to believe it's been four weeks of having services here. You know, there's been such a buildup. You work so hard, and it's crazy. And I'm like, man, we've had about a month of services now in our new facility, and uh, it's been cool. But, yeah, we've been loving every, every moment of it. Yeah. And you said something about how you have to keep moving. Tell us about what might happen if you yes. don't move a lot. So we, we have dimmers, timers um, on our lights. So if, the, if there's no movement, I think it's like 15 or 20 minutes or something like that. It could be longer than that, the shut off. So I've been working this morning and I was just sitting here working on my computer, really not moving much. And then all of a sudden it just went dark. So if you guys see me like... <laughs> Go like That's this, you'll know it's just me. Yeah, <laughs> resetting the timer so the lights don't uh, don't go off on us here. Although I am kind of low key hoping they do because I think that that would make for a great moment <laughs> for our listeners. Yeah. They're gonna they won't they won't find it that amusing, but for the watchers, they'll they'll enjoy that. Uh, we'll just have a quick fade to black there in the middle. Yeah. Oh my goodness! But um, yeah. So I I just want I have to bring it up. The Yankees looked amazing for Ooh. a hot second at the beginning of the season, and now they're doing what they tend to do, which is tank hard with injuries. And I can't act like I'm not excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that, and would fully expect that as a Red Sox fan. So I can I appreciate that that sentiment. I would expect nothing less. It was yeah seven game skid after starting really, really well, like you have all these injuries, we lose seven in a row. I was actually talking to Mark Nelson because he, he was giving me a little bit of grief because he's a Mets fan and we've been, the Yankees have been playing them, but we've won the last three. So I'm feeling maybe a little bit better, but our roster for sure is, is depleted. All the big name heavy hitters are, maybe we'll have them for the playoffs if we even make the playoffs, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the and those Red, Red Sox, though. I mean, are looking. <laughs> I, the only consolation I have right now is that the Yankees had a seven-game skid. We are the worst <laughs> team in baseball at the moment, and it's pretty embarrassing. And we're at the on top of that, we're trading away people who have been productive on the offense. So we are clearly not in a situation to be making a run to the playoffs. <laughs> I don't think sure. we're in a situation to do anything but lose. But it is what it is. Sure. The American League East is always going to be a tough place to play. So I'm just going to tell sure. myself that's why we're losing so much, even though I'm fairly certain it has nothing to do with it. But um, regardless, um, do you? But you've got an office that's at 780 Salt Road. But do, have you, do you find yourself so far mostly working in random spots throughout the building? No, I primarily work in my office. My office is just like boxes and it doesn't look great. So I was like, well, I'll at least come out here and, and sit in the lobby. This is a nice place to work because it, it is warm and inviting out here. But, um, but yeah, typically I'm in the Webster office Mondays 
and Thursdays and then Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm at the Rochester campus in our offices um, there. So usually I'm in my office when I'm here, but it is nice to come out and hang out in the lobby and work in the lobby if there's not a lot of other things or cleaning or things like that that are going on. Sure. Sure. I still think that 780 Salt Road is the most famous um, address in Northridge Church history because I why think if you were to that? ask most people right now, they could not tell you the Rochester campus's address. I don't know why they would know it. <laughs> but for true, some reason, man. we never call it the Webster campus. We always call it 780 Salt Road. 780 Salt Road. <laughs> it's true. I don't know why that is. Uh, something about a new campus at 780 salt road it's just like man we love saying that it's true Uh, but i was at 780 salt road this weekend and it was great to uh be a part of the webster campus there got to do your you know closing comments basically i talked for like two seconds um because most of the other elements were covered but um Drew announced the the three services thing so obviously this impacts your campus pretty heavily so talk to me about like where did that come from in fact, I can tell you, you probably don't even know this, at the 1030 service, there were people in both overflow rooms um, at the yeah. at Webster campus. So w- what's the deal with those times? What are we doing? Sure. Yeah. We, yeah, both campuses are going to be transitioning to three services, 8, 930, and 11. We here in Webster um, obviously are going to be doing that. And for a lot of the reasons you just said, we are very, we're at capacity, especially in our 1030 service. I know Rochester is as well. And so, yeah, for the safety of it, we're, the biggest thing is we're held at a 33% capacity. So certainly we can fit more people in our auditoriums, but the reality is to get them in there safely, appropriately distanced, we are, we are capped. And so in an effort to kind of relieve some of that and make it feel safe because we do want people to come back. We think that being able to meet in person, um, is great. And we get it. Not everyone's feeling safe to do that, which is fine. They can still watch online, but we want to do everything we can to continue to make space for people here. And so it will, um, yeah, it, it will, it will stretch us. I, I almost feel like here at, um, at Webster, a lot of our volunteers, you know, I don't know if it's the portable mindset of just grinding and getting up early. I think are, at least from what I've heard so far, excited about it and, and willing to, uh, yeah help us do that. There's a sense Mm -hmm. of excitement, I think, in in that as well. Not only are we meeting together, but then also we're seeing people come back and excited about church, which we all were wondering, like, man, are people even going to want to come back? And it's been neat to see people excited to come back, even with having to wear a mask throughout, you know, your time in the building, socially distancing, those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I think it's not without its challenges, but I, yeah, I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. And I know um, we have done three services on a Sunday morning before, especially around holidays and stuff. And normally we've done 8, 30, 10 and 11, 30, I think are the three, you know, right. offset by an hour and a half, but starting at 8, 30 instead of eight. So I know that you've, you, you think about this kind of thing a lot, be, especially because, you know, as you were anticipating potentially the growth in Webster. So what's the deal, you know, with going earlier as a, like sure. all the way back to eight instead of eight thirty. Yeah, the main reason for that is trying to balance our 930 and 11 service. So historically, you're right, whether it's Easter or Christmas or any of the bigger holidays, we've traditionally done our first service at 830. This is the first time I can remember having our first service start at 8 a.m. But the reason for that is your third service. So say our third service was at 1130. We actually have found that our 1130 time tends to be our lowest attended service. So by shifting everything earlier, it's going to actually help balance out our 930 and our 11 service, which those are the only two services where we'll have kids ministry. So it helped prevent 
that middle service from getting crushed. We felt like we'd err on the side of going earlier. Oh, oh there go your lights, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That fully lived up to my expectations. I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I forget what I was even saying. The whole idea is going earlier. Balance. Have a, you got it. Yep. Yeah. The yep. second and third service, if, if it's, you know, if somebody has to choose between 10 and 1130 and you're, you know, thinking kids, you're thinking lunch, you're thinking all that kind of stuff. The 11:30 service starts to look pretty unappealing because if it's an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, you're closer to one o'clock before you're leaving that building, and your stomach is going to make you leave before the service is even over. Right. So, um, by shifting, yeah, that early service, no, no, no kids ministry, but hopefully that'll be. We would expect our lowest attended, which in this case is actually a benefit. It's actually a service we can offer, like a, a perk of like, hey, this is a lower attended service. It actually will be, you know, safer in, right. in quotes there in the sense that there will be fewer people. Um, so that's that's kind of normally that would be like, ah, bummer. There's fewer people in a church service. But this is actually like, no, that's that's what we're shooting for <laughs> right. is right. a little more distance. So COVID right. has flipped everything on its head as usual. As per usual. And of course, Regal still not allowed to be open according to New York State. So we've always got that to keep in mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I know. Anyway, let's jump into uh, a discussion on your message. You, um, you, thank you, you know, did a great job speaking on invite in the last week of that series. Thanks for wrapping it up so well. And there was one question that came in um, via podcast at Northridge Rochester via that email. Um, You've seen this, but I'll just read it uh, so our people can. you know, kind of see what this person was asking. And this is from, from John. Um, and I, I love this question. I think it's super helpful and we'll frame our discussion as we get rolling. So he talked about, uh, you know, he gave some compliments and said nice things, but let's get into the, the juicy part here. So right. nobody should think that John was being a jerk. He, he said nice things too, but he said, I agree that stories of conversion can be powerful and that there's a biblical precedent. You know, you shared the leprosy story and that kind of thing of the before and after idea. But on the other hand, he says, Mormons also share their story, their quote testimony as their primary tool as they try to you know, proselytize. Also, today's culture tends to lean toward relativism, and that emphasizes people's personal thoughts and experience as truth. So how do we stand apart from a Mormon testimony or a relativistic true for me, you know, in quotes, what's true for me when we share our story, when really we're trying to declare the truth about God? So how do we avoid a moralistic or even just like a conversion story that anybody can tell? I mean, it's not just other religions that use you know, before and after it's Chip and Joanna Gaines show before and after room conversions and, you know, Weight Watchers shows before and after weight loss stories, you know, everybody's doing that. So how does that make us stand apart if we're trying to talk about God? Totally. It's yeah, it's a good, good question, John. Thanks for submitting that. It, It really is a great question and good for us to think through because all of those realities you just mentioned are true. Um, I guess the way I would answer that is to me, it all comes down to who is the focus of your story, who is the hero of your story. If it's you, if it's um, anyone else but Christ, it's, 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 it's a flawed story, I guess. So when it comes to our before and after stories, as followers of Jesus, the hero of our story, the focus of our story is, is what Jesus has accomplished and what he accomplished on the cross um, which only he could do is, and that changes our lives when we trust in him. Um, that's, that's the whole point of our before and after it. It's not even based on life circumstance or anything related to me. It's simply based on what Christ accomplished on the cross. And my life looked a certain way 
before I knew Jesus. There were certain goals and per, uh, purpose that I had in life. Jesus changed that. And as a result of that, not even just your life circumstances, because your life circumstances may not change a whole lot, but what does change is like your, your heart, your contentment and the peace that you can find. That's what transforms. So I think what separates Christianity and our stories, it, it all comes down to what's, who is the focus of your, of your story. I love that. And, and to that point as well, like it's, who's the focus of your story. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. That, that takes a lot of the tension off. And I don't know that while I, I totally understand John's point about like, Hey, other people do this and this is common in culture that to me doesn't necessarily make it an inherently flawed system, right? Other people do it because it works. And anytime you're trying to show someone the power of anything, a blender, a weight loss program, or a religion, how it's impacted you is always your most relevant information to share. Sure. Like a story about somebody else or something that it did in some other context is never, never as effective as, hey, you're not talking to somebody who heard about Cutco knives once. You're talking about somebody who's a daily Cutco knife user. You know what I mean? And I can speak to my own experience and, and indicate to you that I think you could have the same experience. So even though it is true that other people and things and ideas use the idea of a before and after story, that doesn't make it wrong. It just means that it is an effective way to describe something that's meaningful to you. However, I do think um, we need to keep in mind that people, people are used to hearing that it was effective. You know, this weight loss program worked, this cut cone knife worked, this religion worked for me. And so it's not, it's not locked tight just because you can share how it worked for you. Doesn't mean that someone's going to, Hey, I'm sold. You know, I'm in. Like, what do I need to know about Jesus? Because, and that's where investment becomes a big thing for them to be able to see that this isn't just some gimmick. This isn't just, you know, some fly by night thing. Like this has genuinely changed your existence and it's not just my truth. It is the truth. And your story and the work of the Holy Spirit are the only way those things really come together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and all of these are, that's why I love Pi Squared because it's in this context of a relationship. So even, even you sharing your before and after story, probably there's going to be some conversation around the hero of your story in Jesus, which is what we talked about, like of God's story and being able to talk about who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? And, and you know, what's the significance of that? And why should we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So it's, it, it, yeah, there, there's a lot. It's it's easy to look at an isolated kind of like this example of a moment with a friend that you're having a conversation with faith about. But typically there's, there's a context of a relationship and a conversation that also is going into a bunch of questions that could be raised in, in a person's mm-hmm. journey of faith. And I think, you know, this was something you and I even talked about at your pre-preach that like, um, your story is something that's probably one of the one of the first things that's going to come up. You know, you ended with you talked about God has a story, learn to share it well. You have a story, learn to share it well, and you ended with that. But we had even talked about probably the, you're probably not going to share God's story if you haven't shared your story yet. So, like sequentially, right. it's more likely that the the before and after thing isn't like the linchpin. It's not like someone has heard all the truth and then you're like, and then it worked for me. And they're like, okay, well then I'm in. It's more likely that in the context of your friendship, it comes up pretty early on that like, yeah, Hey, I'm, I'm all in on what Jesus has done in my life and who he is and how incredible he is and how he's the hero and blah, blah, blah. And this is how it's changed my life. Hey, do you want to go watch the game? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's one element that someone goes, huh, you're clearly serious about like this. 
And right. then in six months, when you have a chance to actually present the gospel, it's like they're remembering that this isn't something that you're mentioning for the very first time. You know, it's something that's come up sequentially sure. over time, which right. I think actually leads us to the second part of John's question, which was, he said, how do we avoid sounding like prosperity gospel light when we are telling our story? And just for listeners, maybe aren't familiar with prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is the idea that um, God's desire for you is that you'd be healthy and wealthy and that if you can think of it, dream of it, God wants it for you. They would use verses that describe, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And verse like that to, to illustrate the idea that God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have everything that you want in life. That's the prosperity gospel. It's very common um, in America and actually all over the world. It's an aberration. It's not true. And it's actually extremely destructive. But sometimes people will accuse our brand of Christianity and even the way that you talked of being prosperity gospel light. And I love John's question here because I understand it where he, he even says, I struggle with the formula that I became a Christian and something in my life got better. He says, I just wonder if Christians in Iran or China would be saying the same kind of things. Um, he's saying it's you know purely speculation. I really have no idea. I guess my biggest concern is the emphasis on the outcome instead of on the person of Jesus. Um, he's saying, look, this question isn't totally foreign. I hope you get where I'm coming from. And I think we can understand that when you say like, mm -hmm. I believed in Jesus and all my debt was erased or all, you know, my cars suddenly worked or something. It's like, wow, that's kind of weird. And is that really what Jesus is all about that? He made my life better. Um, sure. so nuance that a little bit for us. Yeah. Another great question. And when even in my in my sermon, even the examples I tried to give of before and after, I tried to make them based on transformation, heart change, perspective, rather than life circumstances changed. And there's a difference there. It's not like I met Jesus and then $5,000 showed up in my bank account, or I met Jesus and then I got a job raised. Hold on. I met Jesus and then, you know, <laughs> I got the house of my dreams. It, it, I tried to coach Where the lights more. turned back on or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I tried to put it in the sense of like, this could be true anywhere, whether you're in Iran, China, or the US, that before I was trying to find acceptance um, in whatever, I met Jesus and found full and final acceptance in him. That to me, you know, is not circumstantially related. It's heart related. It's it's what Christ has accomplished in, in my life. So yeah, I totally understand his, his question. And he's right. The focus should 100% be on the work that Christ has done in our lives not whatever comes about because of that. While that could happen, that's great, but that's just a byproduct of the blessing of just having a relationship and knowing Christ. So that's kind of, I, I think, how I, uh, I try to distinguish it. It's, it's more than the heart transformation, perspective change, purpose change in our lives, not just life circumstances now change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, everything you just said makes a ton of sense to me. And and obviously, John is just wrestling with this question. There's no yeah. accusation here of like, you guys aren't teaching the true gospel or something. Um, but because that is, a, it's a valid thing. If it's just like, hey, everything improved, then we're selling an improved life. We're not promoting Jesus. And right. um, But I, I guess I would say there is a tension here for me because... Um, while we don't want to be prosperity gospel and we want to be all about when exactly in the context you're describing of like, learn to tell your story. Well, I don't ever think that we should sell people on Jesus just because he made your life better. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but at the same time, I do think we need to keep in mind something Andy Stanley says is that like Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. Um, and, and I, I believe that both of those things are true in to a degree, especially 
in American, the average American's life to believe in Jesus could literally make your life better and make you better at life because many of the hurts and pains and frustrations of life that we experience are the result of breaking from God's pattern, aka choosing sin. And so if you do you know, marry a person who aligns with your views and you treat them well and you manage your finances in a way that honors God and you, you know, raise your kids in a way that honors God. And if you take your school seriously, like God is calling you to, and like all of these kinds of things, it it actually has tangible positive impacts on your life. Again, we're talking about American Christianity in our peaceful context. Um, That's not, it's not a that's not a universal truth. It's just that most of the people that you're going to be talking to about Jesus have things in their life that cause them pain that don't have to cause them pain if they were to choose to follow after Jesus. Now, the death of a friend, the the diagnosis that you can't stop. Those are the kinds of things, of course, that like, those are the products of the fall. Jesus won't take those things away. They will still be hard things, but there there's different kinds of pain in our life. And some of the pain in our life is actually the direct consequence of bad choices or sinful choices that if you were following after Jesus, choosing to follow wisdom principles, you actually can't avoid some kinds of pain. And that's mm. kind of nice. <laughs> so, sure. you know, with your coworker who always is flying off the handle in anger, and as a result of that, can't seem to hold down a job because they're, you know, they're always getting, you know, ruining relationships around them with their anger. Well, hey man, inviting them to a relationship with Jesus could literally improve their employability. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, and that's, I don't think we need to be ashamed of that, but we don't need to convince them. They're like, look, you'll be more employable. And they're like, okay, then I'll make this eternal decision. No, it's about Jesus. It's about eternity. It's about forgiveness of sins. But I don't think we need to soft. I don't think we need to forget that it can have positive impact while not forgetting that Jesus also said in Luke 14, that we need to count the cost of becoming a disciple and recognize that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. For sure. Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's again, keeping the focus on Jesus and why he came and why we need to trust in him. But you're right. I mean, there are blessings and the benefits of following God and doing life his way that certainly we reap as a byproduct of making that decision of trusting in Christ. So I think that's I love that byproduct. I think that's a really good word. If we can keep it clear that sometimes improved life circumstances are a byproduct of following Jesus, then I think we'll keep it in the right, right perspective. Right. Um, I love that. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Those are John's kind of two questions there. Yeah, no, I just think, I think in general, when it comes to invite, it certainly can be the hardest one because there's this, like, when do I, when do I, how aggressive do I, you know, at what point do I try to really ask a question that is pushing them a little bit further towards, you know, the gospel question and where they, they stand with Christ. So that I think is some of the tension and invite of knowing do I just sit around and wait or are there times when I lean in? And I think that's where, again, we just have to trust God and hopefully, you know, we have enough relational equity and friendships that we, we can, I, I would think that if, if you have been friends with someone for a while and they're not surfacing that it's, it's okay to prompt maybe some of those spiritual questions to then lead to an invite opportunity. But I get that tension of where it can be hard to know how aggressive should we be or at what point do we try to, um, you know, have that kind of conversation or ask that question to, uh, to trust in Jesus. So I I get that tension. I don't, I didn't really address that. I just was like, here's how you tell God's story and how you tell your story. But there is a reality that I think a lot of us feel of like, man, how, how, and when do I initiate that? Do I initiate or do I just wait? 
there's a tension in there that I think we just ultimately have to trust God, keep our eyes open for those windows of opportunity to be mm-hmm. ready um, when they come up. But um, I think that that can be a tension maybe some people are feeling. For sure. The, it's not even so much. I think lots of people struggle with how, like, how do I say what I need to say? But I think it's more often the struggle of when. And then sure. once you decide on the when, then you start panicking about the how. So you've given us the how, but we haven't decided on the when yet. And sometimes it helps me to rem- to like, you know, I get, I get nervous about losing something, meaning my credibility with them of like, man, if I bring up Jesus too early or in a weird way, I'm going to lose my credibility with them. So in it, in an attempt to avoid losing credibility, I would say silent about Jesus. But I think if we can remind ourselves that there's other things we can lose, it will better help us to keep in tension the timeline. Because I think we need to remember there's other things we could lose if we wait too long. For instance, I think we can lose credibility if we wait too long to ever mention the importance of Jesus in our life. Because if you go years in a friendship with someone and it has never come up that you follow Jesus, that you love him, that he is the center of your existence, well, when you finally say, I love Jesus, he's the center of my existence, it's going to be like, you know, what universe? Right. Like, how is it? You, you, if you've listened to two episodes of this podcast, you know I'm a Red Sox fan. Like, it just comes out because relevant things bring it up. Well, man, you have the intent. You have, we have to keep in mind that it's not just bringing it up too early that causes you to lose credibility. Bring it up too late is like, right. this can't really be as important to you as you're describing because you've never mentioned it. It's never impacted how you do or don't gossip at work, how you do or don't raise your kids. You know what I mean? Like, I've never right. seen any evidence of this. This can't be for real. Yes. It's so, it's so true. I think you even, I love the way you put it when in your message of like, if you choose not, not to really ever bring it up. Like it's cruel at the end of the day, right? It, it's yeah, like, sure. man, why would we keep the greatest, the greatest thing from, from someone? Um, and so, yeah, I think if we wait too long, there is that just almost hurt yourself when they're like, wait, wait, what? I, because they're not seeing you talk about it. They're not even maybe seeing you demonstrate it in the workplace or in life or whatever that, um, yeah, we can do, we can do damage that way. So I hear you. I love it. So, hey, I, you know, your bridge illustration, that's helpful. I, I think there's even an app out there, if I'm not mistaken, that I've had, but we've even recommended before that, like, we'll walk through the bridge illustration if you're not comfortable with your drawing skills. I know that your crosses weren't always exactly the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the most accurate. Right. Uh, right. In fact, actually, we joked, tell them about the pre-preach, the, oh, the yeah. cross that you drew. So in my sermon Sunday, I made sure that the cross went the whole way across the gap between us and God in my pre-preach. Yeah, I think the, yeah, there was a gap between like us and God. My cross didn't span the gap. And so the guys were like, um, Nate, actually, that cross is not quite theologically accurate. It should go the whole way. There should be no step that we have. You know, <laughs> it was, it was You're the guys drawing, were all like, funny. We all had to jump to Jesus and then jump from Jesus to God. It was like human effort on both ends of the cross. (laughs) So if you're worried about theological inaccuracy in your drawings, you could download the bridge app. I think that can be a way to, and it actually, again, like the odds of you just pressing play on a thing and handing it to your friend, it's probably not going to be as effective. But if you want kind of like a refresher that you talk through, it's got the verses right there built in. It can be just like a simple way to give you a little bit more confidence, which is what your goal is. I love that. Like, I don't have sweaty palms. I'm not panicking. I know I have some confidence that God will give me the words that I can rely on the Holy Spirit that, you know, I might plant, someone else might water, but it's God who gives the increase. And I just want to be one of the people along the story. For sure. Yeah. And there, that's the beauty of phones nowadays. You're right. There are apps out there like the, the bridge illustration app 
I forget if that's the name of it. I should have looked up, looked that up before our podcast. You could find it, but easily Googleable. Just (laughs) click right through it and write it. It gives you everything with clear, beautiful lines, a beautiful cross. You know, it's all. You know, it looks good, but that's definitely a great, a great tool to have. Hmm. So, hey, um, thanks, Nate, for taking the time. We're we're running out of time here. Um, I'll just for our listeners and um, for our watchers. As always, if there's if you're on social media and you're watching, that's great. This is always going to be a good platform to access. If you're listening through some kind of a podcast app, if you rate, review, and subscribe, that gives us a sense that we're work it's working and that you're listening, and um, also helps us you know get coverage with our people so they can be spread a little bit more. Um, but then also coming up this weekend is Labor Day weekend, and so Daniel White, our kid, kids ministry executive director, is going to be speaking. Which by the way, he and his wife just had a kid like two days ago. So congratulations to them, and then also. So what, uh, what a first two weeks of parenthood to be preaching. So pretty crazy, but, um, excited for them and excited to hear from them this weekend. And then of course, grand opening on September the 13th, three services, food trucks. It's going to be a great time. I can't even tell you which campus I'm going to be at, but I have a feeling that Nate Miller is going to be at 780 Salt Road and um, I'll be we'll there. see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. 780 Salt Road. In case you missed it, I'll be there. Put that yeah. in the GPS. <laughs> All righty. Thanks so much, Nate, for taking the time and everybody. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time.